Support for this podcast is also brought to you by Feed and Seed Depot in Crestwood, Kentucky. The Feed and Seed Depot is your one-stop garden shop. You'll find lawn and garden seed, livestock and pet feeds, local honey and treats galore. Whether you're looking for local fresh produce and local farm fresh eggs from Maple Morning Farm or homemade jams and jellies, you'll find region specialties and seasonal goodies at the depot. We are located at 6315 West Highway 146 in Crestwood, Kentucky. Hey friends, thank you for tuning back into the show. Um, This week, I had a really special guest on. Uh, We graduated high school together. We pretty much grew up together. He's a dear friend of mine, and uh, his name is Jake Nagy. Uh, Him and his wife are actually out in uh, Portland right now. They are... uh, planting churches, and that's what he uh, started doing after he attended Biola University out in California. I had him on this week because we're going to be talking about some pretty heavy things that are going on in our country right now, and that has a lot to do with Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. Jake has a really unique perspective on this situation, mainly because uh, he... uh, has someone in particular that's very near and dear to him that basically has to navigate their way through this world and he is you know leading them through it but I'll let you uh, I'll let you hear from his perspective himself but before we get into that I actually wanted to uh, read something about the George Floyd uh, situation that I thought was actually really interesting and I thought was a pretty uh, unique take on it. A friend of mine made a post uh, talking about the George Floyd situation and um, I'm gonna read what she says but I'm gonna keep her name out of it and this is basically her personal take on it. She's studying law enforcement and so this is her two cents on the situation. What happened with George Floyd is yet another example of why complaints against officers need to be taken seriously and thoroughly evaluated. The officer with his knee on Floyd supposedly had 18 pre-existing complaints filed against him prior to his firing. Police officers are obviously given a large amount of authority and it should only be given to those who have the humanity to effectively yield that power in a way that can protect both civilian and themselves. In my police function course this year, I was taught a technique for safely restraining someone who is resisting arrest. This takedown technique maneuvers the civilian onto their stomach so that the police can cuff the suspect after placing their knee on the upper back. That's the important part, their back, not their neck or anything else. This keeps both involved parties safe, yet officers need to be safe to do their jobs, but so do the people being arrested. Just because someone is arrested does not mean they're guilty, but even if they are, it is the officer's job to keep them safe. Police even have the responsibility to keep someone alive in the tragic circumstance they have to shoot someone. The situation does a complete 180 from self-defense to life-saving. The fact that this officer had his knee on Floyd's neck in the first place shows he was poorly trained and unable to properly be a someone in such a position of power or he was appropriately trained and simply lacked the compassion 
and unable to properly, oh, excuse me, simply lacked the compassion and decency to right the situation, once Floyd voiced being unable to breathe. Accidents happen, but this officer's history is pretty hard evidence that this wasn't an accident. His immediate firing was a start, but the officers will see their day in court for murder. Being a police officer is not a pass for murder. Never has been and never will be. Studying justice has taught me many things, but the number one is that the system needs radical change immediately if we are to have hope for getting this country back on the right track. This country has a horrifying track record of rampant racism amongst law enforcement across the board that makes me angrier than anything and sadder than ever. Not only do we demand justice for the lives lost, we need to demand better training, deeper psychological evaluation upon hiring throughout employment, more efficient investigation into complaints, and harsher consequences. It is not enough to simply say sorry. Changes need to happen, and it's needed to happen now. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are, um, whatever, whatever walk of life you're from, whatever color your skin is, whatever your belief is, whatever your religion is, whoever you worship, um, I hope that you're able to uh, take time to uh, sit back here and to just simply listen to a testimony that really touched my heart and I feel like will touch yours as well. Don't get defensive. Don't get angry. Uh, don't feel vengeful. Just simply listen and open your heart. And uh, I'm sure you're going to learn a lot because I know I did too. This is the Triune Podcast and this is Jake Nagy. Okay, I messed up the first time, but we're going to get it this time. <laughs> Jake, thank you so much for coming on the yeah, show. Man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Dude, we went to high school together. Um, <laughs> we shared our childhood together. It's yep. been six years since I've seen you. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be talking about some stuff today, and uh, it's stuff that's really important to you, and it's yep. important to a lot of people, and it's just kind of, you know, what our country's going through right now, and, you know, you've got a really neat perspective on it so i want to give people the chance to hear about it um but before we get into that i want to give the audience a chance to just know who you are so if you want to introduce yourself and tell a little bit about yourself go ahead yeah uh just the last moment i had this uh recollection of uh being in eighth grade with drew (laughs) on the way to on the way back from our trip to washington (laughs) dc we're on the bus Um, with uh, Sawyer Hobbs and Ryan Long and Sam Spencer Stone. and Sam. And uh, we were recording raps uh, on the bus. Somebody was filming it on uh, some T-Mobile flip phone oh probably. And, uh, man, I just think <laughs> we've come a long way since that moment, Drew. Dude, you were called the Rolling Rocks. The Rolling Rocks yes. <laughs> featuring Drew Boy. <laughs> so, uh, 
Man, what a what a journey it's been to, to get here. That makes me want to cry. We had those aviators with the oh, plastic yeah. Uh, yeah. windshield wipers yeah. on them. Yeah, man. Classic like 2000 and like 10 oh, move right gosh. there. But uh, yeah, man. <laughs> good good memories. Uh, I will try to stick to the point from here on out, though. Um, my name is Jake. Graduated with Drew uh, in 2013. Moved to... Uh, California to attend Biola University, um, was out there for about five years going to school and then uh, actually worked at the university and uh, after that I got married to my wife Madison. Uh, we felt uh, a call um, to church plant one day and mm-hmm. kind of felt God tugging on our hearts towards the northwest. Mm-hmm. So we moved to Portland, Oregon about two years ago. Um, been an awesome experience. We originally thought uh, we were going to uh, spend a year or so there and move to Seattle to church plant. Mm. And while we were living in Portland, just fell in love with the city, uh, the Northeast neighborhood in particular in Portland. Um, we're uh, hoping to church plant there over the next year or two. And so it's been an exciting journey uh, towards that with a lot of twists and turns. But uh, man, thankful for um, the fact that uh, <laughs> we've come a long way since eighth grade, Drew. So. Dude, we've come- <laughs> We've come so far, but it's still like, it's still so surprising to see yeah. where people end up. We yeah. were just talking about that too. Yeah. But, um, man, you, you posted on social media today, mm-hmm. you were basically putting it out there that, you know, this is a really difficult time and we're talking, you know, mainly about George Floyd mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, also Brianna Taylor mm-hmm. and, um, Ahmad as mm-hmm. well. And for me personally, it is really heartbreaking that that we've seen these many instances in not just several parts of the country, but also in our own backyard mm-hmm. where in Louisville, Kentucky, like where we grew up, this mm-hmm. is something that, you know, it, it, we can't explain why it happened, but you put out there that you, you want to offer people a chance to to know how to think about this if they're wrestling with information if they're wrestling with a perspective yeah you're wanting to you're wanting to give them that chance to say like hey look here are the facts yeah here's the perspective mm-hmm. if you want to talk about that here yeah i want you to be able to get that out there because yeah. i know you've got you've got a perspective on there that i know is just truly legitimate yeah so. man thank you i uh i feel um, really humbled, honored, but also humble. Combine those two. Humbled. Um, yeah, man. I'm make that a shirt. It's perfect. <laughs> um, you know, I I only have my life experience to to speak from, as do any of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but my journey, my my family's journey, has been uh, rather unique. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of context, maybe, if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, so I was born and raised in Louisville, first 18 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of interesting. There's been a long, winding journey, even before my life, really, with what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were both born in Detroit, Michigan, yeah. in 1965. Um, if you know anything about Detroit, uh, right around 1965, yeah. something very similar to what has happened this week happened. Yeah. Um, Two uh, black men were murdered, um, unarmed, um, by the police. And uh, 
Afterwards, there was uh, protests, which led to those protests trying to be stopped, which mm-hmm. led to fighting, um, all kinds of things happening in the streets. And uh, a lot of people actually moved away from Detroit into mm-hmm. the suburbs of uh, Dearborn, Michigan, which is yeah. where my dad would spend the next 18 years of his life. My mom's family actually moved to Louisville at that point. Wow. Um, uh, both of my sides of my family, they worked for Ford Motor Company. So my dad's in Dearborn, my mom's family at the truck plant here in Louisville. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's really interesting, man, when my mom was growing up in grade school, this was at the time of busing. So yeah. my mom got bused. Uh, she's from a white family. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of emotion wrapped up into that. Um, but I think one thing that's really fascinating is uh, my mom went to a school uh, that was predominantly black. And I I watch how that shaped my mom's experiences. I watched how my dad's experiences were shaped by growing up in and around Detroit, Michigan. Um, Fast forward to me growing Mm up. uh, I have uh, one biological sister. Mm -hmm. She's about two years younger than me. And uh, it was that way till I was about 16 years old, uh, just the two of us. And, um, to make a long story short, my family ended up uh, adopting my brother, Jonathan, mm-hmm. um, in 2012. It's one of the most uh, incredible experiences I could ever imagine. And um, still just, when I think back on it, it's crazy. I mean, right. you were there with me the whole time that was happening. Watching watching your heart change like during high school because <laughs> you were going on these mission trips to Ghana. and. Mm-hmm. You even had chances to talk about it in the chapel where all the students would gather and you shared your perspective. And that was that was something like where I, I myself and a lot of our friends and our friend group knew mm-hmm. we were like, wow, the trajectory of Jake's life has just changed. Mm-hmm. And it was influenced by this boy, but it was influenced also just by the situation out there. Yeah, yeah, man. And um, I remember... So my brother was adopted the summer going into our senior year of high school. So this is going into 2012. And uh, there was this one kind of like gravel lot that we parked uh, in as seniors. And mm-hmm. I was pulling up to school one day, in our senior year of high school. And I had the news on 96.5, which is a hip-hop station in Louisville. And, um, and on my way, I had to turn down low. And it sounded like someone was almost crying on the radio. So I turned it up. And sure enough, this person is in tears and is explaining that a young man named Trayvon Martin had been killed. Mm -hmm. He was uh, a teenager. He was unarmed. He was walking through his own neighborhood, eating a a pack of Skittles. And someone came to do a, a citizen's arrest and killed him. And I remember sitting in my car and it was like, like numb. Just, I felt frozen, man. Like, you know, I'd heard stories about, um, black people who had been killed before. Mm. We take history classes, which is, you know, a whole thing in and of itself. But yeah, you, you hear, we understand slavery happened and, and I kind of had believed this trajectory that like, right. This happened, and then Martin Luther King said, I had a dream, and now we all love each other. And now we're past it. And now we're past it. And I'm sitting here in the car thinking about how this young black boy was walking through his neighborhood, his own neighborhood, and was killed. And for the first time, it wasn't just something I'd read about in a history book. It wasn't just something I had heard about on the radio. I sat there in my car, and I thought about my brother, my black brother. Yeah. 
growing up here in Louisville, living in the same neighborhood that I live in, thinking about what it would be like for him one day to walk up the street of his neighborhood with a hoodie on? Would he face the same kind of reality that Trayvon faced? And you fast forward, it's been eight years, man. Yeah. And Brianna Taylor, Ahmad, right in, our in our own backyard, in the same yeah. city that we grew up in. Um, I think about Ahmad running down the street, doing something that you and I both like to do. You ran track. Bro, <laughs> bro, we, we would explore places. Yes. Like, we would go through neighborhoods. Yes. And if we saw a place where we knew nobody was at, yeah. we'd check it out. Yep. We wanted to see what was new. Yep. We would check out places we knew people already were. I mean, if yeah. I'm being really honest, uh, there are things, you know, that I never had to consider mm-hmm. as a white man that my brother has to think about all the time, you know, and, and my mom, I think put it really well, um, when Ahmad was shot and killed and his life was taken from him, uh, she had to sit down with my brother for, you know, the umpteenth time to explain to him to not have his hood up Mm -hmm. when he is in the neighborhood, riding his bike with his friends, he should not be by himself. Um, when he is running, you know, to smile, mm-hmm. to wave at people, to show that he is friendly because there is this thing in the back of our minds. And, and Drew, I think one of the things that um, that we don't give space for very often, and this mm-hmm. is just something I want to say, is there are things that play in the back of my mind that I'm not proud of, right. but they're there. Right. And I think... We have been ingrained as a society that black men want to uh, steal. They want to harm people. They are criminals. Mm -hmm. It's in the shows and the movies we watch. It's in the stories that we hear and we tell ourselves. It's in the music we listen to. It's in pop culture. Yeah, you're right. It's everywhere, man. It's ingrained in us. And so I think we don't want to admit, but it plays in our subconscious that we view people doing the same action mm-hmm. very differently. Mm-hmm. My mom never sat down and had a conversation with me about not wearing a hoodie. My mom never sat down and had a conversation with me about how I need to smile, how I need to wave, how I need, need to uh, appear non-threatening right. because people didn't see me as a threat. We have the same parents, my brother and I mm-hmm. grew up in the same home in the same city. And yet she's had to have two completely different sets of of conversations with us she's literally had to tell your brother that he needs to be aware that some that he could be treated as a foreigner in a foreign land yes this is his home he's an american citizen yes that that almost like i even thought about this earlier today just for you and for your mom and dad you got to think about you were like man we got to get this. We got to, I, I need this boy in my life. Yeah. We got to get him home. Yeah. We, he, he can't stay here. Yeah. But then you're also thinking now on the backside. Yeah. What did I bring him to? What yeah. did I bring him home to? I have to now tell him that not only did he have a slim chance of surviving in the place that mm-hmm. he was actually born in, mm-hmm. but now he has to be careful about the place that we've brought him to. Yeah. It, we didn't bring him to. <laughs> Uh, we didn't bring him to paradise. Yeah. It was just a, it was a different situation. Yeah. And you know, his chances of survival are higher here than there, but the, but the, the, the reason that his chances of survival are, that are not as high as yours 
are still wildly confusing. Yes. And very infuriating. Yes. Yeah. And just it <laughs> continue. Yeah, know? man. I I think the fact that we even have to have that conversation, which I have had with my parents, and man, to be really honest, um, it's weighty that mm-hmm. that is something I, I've laid in bed at night and thought about. You know, this kind of thing wouldn't be something he had to think about if he was still living in Ghana. I mean, the fact that that is a a conversation that we're having, um, I think, shows how far we still have to go, man. And I think that is one of the things I really want to give space to have honest conversations about because I think a lot of us, um, we look at what's happening in our world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably have more diverse friend groups than people did 50 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, we elected a black man as president. There's yeah. these things that as Americans, we can kind of hold up and say, um, look, we're, we're doing better. We're, we're slowly progressing. But, you know, I see every year in January on Martin Luther King Day, a lot of people quote that I have a dream speech, which right. I love. And I quote it too. Um, But Martin Luther King also had a lot to say about those of us who would say, not yet. Right. You're taking this too fast. Can't we just, why do we have to keep having the conversation? Why is everything about race? Uh, Martin Luther King said that uh, the white moderate Mm -hmm. is more dangerous to the black man than the Ku Klux Klan. Think about that for a second. When the KKK, when a hate group, when somebody awful does something, we can kind of dismiss that as, oh, that's this small percent of our society mm-hmm. doing sick, evil things, right? Right. But it's me, Drew. It's it's me. It's me saying to my brother and those who look like him, I understand you're going through a tough time, but why do we keep having to have this conversation? Right. When we do that, we slow and we continue to take away the God-given image-bearingness that he has put on every single person um, when we ask them to to take this slower. And so I think that's why we have to have this conversation, man. There is, in my mind, this mode of hypocrisy when, when you say, like, this is the land of the free, the home of the brave, we have the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? So then we have that as our foundation. That's what this country is built on. I know exactly what Martin Luther King meant by the mm-hmm. white moderate is dangerous because the truth is 90, 80% of this, of the white population in the United States is moderate. Yep, They're probably not racist. They're probably not like instinctively thinking like, Oh, I need to, you know, not be near a black person or something Mm -hmm. like that. But you do have that percentage of fringed psychopath morons Mm -hmm. who will go out there and do that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do anything, Mm -hmm. then you actually aren't participating in making the country a place of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Yeah. I know that's what it is. Yeah, man. <laughs> and that's but see this is the this is the hard part here because this is where a part of me and this is just to help you kind of explain it and everything, yeah. but it's almost I need to play devil's advocate because mm-hmm. I've I've heard just on Facebook posts yeah. and stuff like that 
where you'll see a banner that says white people do something mm-hmm. or when are white people going to take responsibility for themselves? And then I'll see somebody comment, who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. It's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So what do I need to do about it? Yeah. There needs to be this conversation of saying, hey, there's a way to participate in the progression of extinguishing this really tasteless part of our culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just think, you know, for you and for your family and yeah. for Jonathan personally, I think just being so close to the development of a child growing up, yeah. having to tell them like, hey, listen, I really, this isn't me. <laughs> this isn't your close friends. This isn't, this isn't typically the people you go to school with. Yeah. But maybe somewhere down the road, yeah, in a different neighborhood, in yeah. a different part of the state, you're going to find somebody that doesn't like the way you look. Mm-hmm. And this country instinctively protects them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to just invite you to say, like, yeah. let me play as devil's advocate here. Yeah, I'm not a racist. I don't have race. I don't have racial tendencies. Mm-hmm. I've never done anything to oppress anybody of a different nationality or skin color or anything like that. But what can I do yeah. to still just be active in extinguishing that part of our culture? Yeah. First, I would say it's a fair question. Yeah. And I'm not angry at you for asking that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of us feel that. Right. Deep down, whether we will post that, some of us may post it, some of us may not, but I think a right. lot of us feel that. I've never hurt anybody. I'm not the one who did this. What What do I do here? Um, if you haven't watched the video of what happened to George Floyd, and I want to just be fair to say it can be triggering, it can be traumatic for those who have suffered abuse. If I've you, watched it four times already. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you've seen like you've seen bad calls in sports like yeah. where it's deliberate and you just want to throw your remote at the television. Yeah. This is, this is just astronomically yeah. more infuriating. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, when I watch the clip, there's the officer with his knee on the neck of George Floyd. And, um, you know, one of my very best friends who was in my wedding mm-hmm. is a police officer in Los Angeles. Um, I love him and I've had conversations with him about policing and I can tell you right now having somebody on their stomach putting your knee on somebody's throat there's four officers standing there they have the situation under control it's not armed without a doubt but in this clip there is a police officer who comes and stands between the officer who has his knee on George Floyd's neck and the person who is filming the video And I think that that person, that officer standing in the middle, Mm -hmm. he's not the one with his knee on anybody's neck. Right. He's just standing in the middle. Yeah. Just kind of almost minding his own business. Just, hey, let's, let's back this up a little bit. Right. I feel like that officer is you and I a lot because that officer could have said to his coworker, his colleague, Mm -hmm. Don't put your knee on his neck. He is he's pleading with you that he right. cannot breathe. Let go. Just cuff him. Put sit sit him upright. Let's be humane about this situation. But instead, I think he was more concerned about the person who was filming the video. Right. right. He did not commit 
the act of murder. He did not put his knee on anyone's neck, yeah. but he was more concerned about just kind of being in the middle mm-hmm. than telling his colleague, his friend, and his coworker, see this person's humanity. Take your knee off of his neck. He is shouting that he cannot breathe. I so badly want to know what their collective mentality was that five police officers were all just somewhat mutually in agreement here mm-hmm. that this is the road they were going to go down. Yeah. Like what it that begs the question is it's is it systematic? Is mm-hmm. it policy? Is it procedure? Mm-hmm. Is it what you I've done mixed martial arts through high school yeah. and I do jiu-jitsu now. Yeah. I'm I, to to if I get control of the situation. Mm-hmm. To keep control, I will never resort to putting my knee on somebody's neck. Yeah. For one, you can. I'm a 200 pound man. Mm-hmm. I can put all 200 pounds of my weight in the tip of my knee, mm-hmm. and I put that on somebody's neck. That's gonna choke them. Yeah. That's gonna infuriate them. You're not gonna accomplish anything. Yeah. And that just is to me. It's like, was it? Is this a poorly trained unit? Mm. Was it bad procedure that was taught in training, yeah. or? Did five police officers really collectively decide that this is the road they were going to go down? Mm. And for some reason, on it was suspect for fraudulent charges. Yeah, they were going to not get up off of this man's neck after his plea and the plea of several other people observing the situation. Yeah. My my sister asked me the other mm. day. She literally asked me yesterday, mm. um, if you had been one of the spectators, mm. would you have tried to mm. get him off? Mm. And that's that's the that's the real hard yeah. question. Yeah, I know for a fact if it was your brother mm. all day long. Yeah, like all day long. Yeah, but it was just this situation where everybody knew what was happening. Yeah. Everybody was fully aware. The educated and uneducated yeah. were all standing there and like he's not moving. Yes. I don't know what to tell people yeah. when somebody says like police brutality is all over like after that situation mm. I don't have an answer to say yeah. Well, it was just that guy. It yeah. wasn't. It was five yeah. police officers who were given authority. Yeah. yeah that man. is astounding. Yeah. <laughs> I I think what you said is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle there, you said, if, if that was your brother, I would have got in there and I would have done something. And I think that is the heart. That is what I would hope the heart of this conversation right now would be. George Floyd is somebody's brother, mm-hmm. somebody's son. George Floyd was a Bible study leader. Yes, he he brought a pool down, uh, an inflatable pool into a neighborhood to baptize folks. Mm-hmm. The man loved Jesus. He is like you and I in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think part of even this conversation is that as Americans, but also as Christians, we have failed to hear our brothers and sisters saying, I'm somebody's brother. Mm-hmm. I'm somebody's son. I'm somebody's dad. Th- this is not the first time this has happened. This is not the first time this has happened this week. This mm-hmm. is not the 
<laughs> it it has been going on as long as our country has existed. And I think the question of is it this one guy? Is it five guys? Is it a bad unit? Is mm-hmm. it the Minnesota unit? Is it systemic? Is it across the board? It's a complicated question with, I think, not as clear of an answer as we would like to have. But I, I will agree. say I will say this, man. Um, <laughs> racism in our country is widespread and systemic, not just in the area of policing, mm-hmm. but across the board. And just like with the McMichaels. Exactly, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that, um, that makes us feel uncomfortable at times as a white person. I often, I think I and others feel like that can be uncomfortable because it is implicit on me, but I think it's, it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not something that has happened overnight. Right. It's been something that's been going on. You mentioned this earlier, the land of the free, home of the brave, the mm-hmm. land of the free. When those words were penned 244 years ago, right? Right. They were not true of my brother. Right. A hundred years ago, my brother and I could not have eaten in the same restaurant, mm-hmm. gone to the same school, used the same bathroom or water fountain. A hundred years ago. Yeah. I mean, this isn't, you know... Well, a thousand years ago, there was this terrible thing. In my mom's lifetime, you would not have seen her two sons be able to be her two sons. Right. It is systemic. And regarding this one aspect of policing, um, I think there's... Uh, a lot of people wiser than myself who I would just encourage folks who are listening if they're wanting to engage to listen to. Pastor Brian Loritz, mm-hmm. Albert Tate. Uh, Albert comes to Southeast Christian Albert here in Louisville. Albert Tate has been throwing down some real yeah. knowledge and perspective. Yeah. And yeah, to honestly, to hear, to hear his emotion yes. is one of the real powerful things because this man, he does go to Southeast yeah. and he talks to about 9,000 Caucasian people yes. in one room Yep, and he's happy to do it, mm-hmm. but he, he, he's got to also tell you like it is. He's yeah. and he's like, look, this is not, this is not a world that you share. If you don't have my skin, yeah. this is not a world that you, that you share. And I'm not, I'm not coming down on you for that. Yeah. I need you to know why yes. there is this, real emotional charge situation when you see somebody with the same color skin as I have make these really outrageous just statements that you know they're tired yeah yeah right we're tired just understand that yeah it's sad to see it Mm. but yeah and and I'm I'm in a place too where I'm I'm totally right there with you that the answer is complicated yeah. and the situation is nuanced and it's not mm-hmm. going to be clear and perfect. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that I'd be willing to say right off the bat is that this citizen's arrest thing yeah. needs to be reexamined. Yeah, Drew. <laughs> um, to, to be honest, nobody's doing a citizen's arrest on me. Yeah. I'm not walking down the street and somebody said, ho, ho, ho. Hey, I'm putting you under citizen's arrest. I'm laughing yep. and walking away. Yeah. You better believe it. Yep. And I just, I, I don't know, I don't know why that, 
I don't know where that came about in yeah. history. I don't know what prompted that, mm. but it's clear that people don't know what they're doing. Yeah, man. You know, and it's just that that's not at no point ever. I've examined that situation a hundred times. I watched the layout where the McMichaels drove up and down the neighborhood like four different times, cutting him off, yep. having him run another direction, <clears throat> hunting him. The the two men were in a truck like regulators. Mm. They had their guns exposed. Yep. What do you think is going to happen? If I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm yep. black or white. I see two guys with guns in a truck yep. trying to stop me. Yep. All bets are off. This yep. isn't one of those things where I'm like, oh, well, as long as I show them my ID, yeah. I don't. They're yeah. not in uniform, and they're already after you. And that's gun the gun and revolver. That's the thing, man. Is with all of this, I think there's a two pronged conversation here. Mm-hmm. The first is of a personal and a heartfelt level. Yeah. There are moments at the Thanksgiving dinner table that your uncle Billy is going to say something ugly and racist. Mm -hmm. And there's a moment for you to choose whether you respond to your uncle and say, that's not right. Mm -hmm. And engage in an awkward but necessary conversation. There are all kinds of moments that happen in our day-to-day life. Posting something on social media, having that conversation over dinner, reading books, understanding the perspective of our black brothers and sisters. There's a personal side of this that I think is important for us to weigh. There's also the systemic side. Hmm. And when Martin Luther King spoke about having a dream, he spoke about dreaming of a world in which little white boys and little black boys, little white girls and little black girls would be able to hold hands and sing Free at last, free at last. Thank yeah. God Almighty, we are free at last. Mm-hmm. We, we love that, and it's, it's mm-hmm. beautiful, and I've written papers on it in college. Yeah. But he also spoke a lot about the laws that needed to be changed. Yeah. Martin Luther King did not only have a mission of getting us to change our hearts. He mm-hmm. knew that heart change was important, but it would be half or less than half of the picture without actual structural change. Mm-hmm. The Montgomery bus boycott changed things for our black brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the movie Selma, I would highly encourage it. It is worth an hour and a half of, of your quarantine time. For sure. Watch the movie Selma. What happened there with the boycotts changed things. He was not only advocating for heart change, mm-hmm. but for structure change. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that we cannot forget and is one of the things you know i posted today if you're feeling stuck like what can i do mm-hmm. there's the heart issues of the heart changing the posture of our heart listening to the pain of our brothers and sisters there's also this other side of the coin real structural things that we can fight for we can call and write and email our city mm-hmm. officials our police department just Man, over the last month, the incident of Breonna Taylor, I just mm-hmm. if I can paint a picture quickly of what's even happened there for a moment. When she was shot through her door, her partner, uh, her life partner, shot back because right. someone is shooting into their home. Right. He was arrested and has been in jail for a number of days now. Yeah. And this story had kind of slid away, man. Yeah. 
Yeah. And with the spotlight coming, with people posting about it, having conversations, calling the department, they have started to review it. Her partner has been released from jail. Yeah. And the police department is looking into and going to enact certain measures to further training, mm-hmm. body cams. There are a, a number of things, practical, structural things that we can fight for as well. I was so confused by that story as well because so Ahmad was a citizen on citizen yes. incident and yes. up and down clearly racist. Yes. Just you you don't do that. And so then we get to Breonna Taylor and then quickly after that we get to George Floyd which are two situations of police yes. on citizen. Mm-hmm. My confusion and my just state of just not knowing what to tell people is that what I what I hear is that her name was on the warrant, right? Mm. And then she was asleep in her home. There was a no-knock warrant with a police unit that exclusively doesn't wear body cams. Her boyfriend shot back and actually shot a cop but was still arrested. Mm-hmm. She was unarmed and still somehow ended up with eight bullets yeah. in her. So with that being said, if I am the the overseer of this operation, yeah. I'm still going to be at the point where I'm like, hey, how are we this covert mm-hmm. of a police unit mm-hmm. where we're going to detain who we know is a young black woman that is an EMT. We know where she lives. We have the element of surprise, and yet somehow she still ends up dead with eight bullet wounds, and her boyfriend is arrested after shooting one of the cops. What happened here? Yeah. That's, that to me is like, I totally get it when somebody says there needs to be a change in this system. Yeah. I totally get it. (laughs) And it's like... I can't tell you if the system change that we're all looking for would be the actual answer, mm. but you're absolutely right to to feel that way. Yeah. yeah. When you say, "Yeah, the system is out to get yes. us." Yes. I'm at that point I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I get it." Yeah. That it, would scare the heck out of me. If you look at what happened to Trayvon Martin 8 years ago, there's no video footage of what happened. Um, Albert Tate said this, what's ha- what's happened to, to George Floyd, to Ahmad? it's not new. What's new is that it's being filmed. And if eight years ago we had, had wept, mm-hmm. felt the pain of a young teenage boy unarmed in his own neighborhood, having his life taken from him. Mm-hmm. If we had convicted his killer, not let him walk free. Mm-hmm. If we had said this whole notion of a citizen's arrest, the man who killed Trayvon Martin, the police told him on the phone, stop, do not do this. He went ahead, he killed him, he walked free. If eight years ago we had listened to the cries and the pain of our brothers and sisters, and we had eliminated this craziness of citizen's arrest, Mm -hmm. Ahmaud Arbery would still be alive right now. Right. Or what would have happened to him the people who kill him, they would have already been, been sentenced to life in prison. Yeah. The fact that it's taken us, we, we have to, to see this with our own eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a story from the civil, right, civil rights movement of a, a man named Emmett Till. as a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, he was accused of looking at a young white girl as she crossed the street. Mm-hmm. And because of that, 
he was beaten, killed, murdered. His life was taken from him. And his mother insisted that the casket remain open mm-hmm. so that all of America would have to look at her son who had died yeah. and weigh what we all together have done yeah. and the consequences of our silence. And I think that that probably weighed heavy on a lot of people in that generation. Mm-hmm. But I think right now in this moment, I, I think about what happened to Trayvon. Mm-hmm. And I think about how if we had listened if we had acted, if we had changed both our hearts and also our structures, mm-hmm. our brother Ahmad would still be jogging today. Right. And so my hope and my prayer is that, number one, um, that this would move us, man. Right. Because our fellow image bearer of God Ahmad Arbery mm-hmm. has died. Mm-hmm. Our fellow image bearer, Brianna Taylor, life taken from her. Our fellow image bearer, George Floyd. Yeah. We have to start with that pain. And I think if what you're feeling right now, you're listening to this, if what you're feeling is just the weight of that and how heavy it is, it's okay to start there. Yeah. It has to pierce our soul at a deep level for us to move to action. Yeah. And so, I got I got to say too also if you're listening to this don't feel defensive because you know if you are if you're a white person in America and and life has treated you well you know hey good for you count your blessings thank the lord don't get defensive right now yeah. if you're like hey I've got no, you know don't it that's not what's being talked about here what needs to be brought to attention is that as an American citizen, we need to be active in taking accountability for reaching out to the people that we know have the wrong set of ideas and the wrong perspectives in life. And we need to be more proactive about saying, hey, listen, this guy that doesn't look like you, this guy that doesn't talk like you, that doesn't walk like you, that does different things in life than you do, he is an American citizen. Yes. And he is an image bearer if yes. you're a Christian. Yeah. And you need to respect that. And yeah. you need to understand. You've gotta you've gotta not be colorblind, but you've gotta you've got to appreciate the differences because that's what this country's built upon. Yeah. That that is where I would say in the community that we grew up in yeah. is probably what is the typical response? Yeah. I'm not saying we're in some redneck backwards part of the town, but people don't like to be called out on something that they didn't directly participate in. They don't like to be say, they don't like to say, Hey, I don't, don't rope me into that. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. But this <laughs> is, this is where if you're a Christian, you're not taking blame for something that some moron in Minneapolis did. <laughs> you're saying, Hey, look, I understand that happened. I don't know the fear of somebody like Jonathan, Mm -hmm. what he'll have to deal with. Mm -hmm. But I want to be proactive in saying that I care and that if I see a tendency, if I see, uh, you know, a situation play out, I want there to be understanding that as a Christian, I'll step up to the plate when I see it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that that's something that, we should all be able to agree on, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, man. 
I, uh, I think that notion, you use the word colorblind there and it's, it's a word that I grew up hearing right. and even had a positive, um, I had a positive association with that word. Yeah, it did for a while. Yeah. yeah. And I remember even in movies and things I listened to, I thought, you know, this is a really, um, this is, this is good. I, I don't see color. Right. And I think from, um, from what I have heard from my friends of color, hmm. that is not empathetic. It is not helpful for them. It's actually harmful and hurtful right. for them. Because guess what? The people who chased down Ahmad and took his life, they saw the color of his skin. Right. So us saying, I don't see your color, is actually ignoring an incredibly massive and important part of who they are. Right. Other people see it and it costs them a lot. So our, our, our job is not to be colorblind, mm-hmm. but to say, I see you, mm-hmm. I see the color of your skin and I hear you and I love you mm-hmm. and I want to feel what you feel. Mm-hmm. I want to, to, even though I've, I've never walked a mile in your shoes, I want to hear what you have to say. And again, right. as a, as an American I think there's this responsibility of our rights. It is our right to hear our suffering neighbor. Mm-hmm. If you are a Christian, even more so, where you're commanded, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Right. We're not told to, when someone comes and is weeping and hurting, to tell them, well, hey, 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 let's just take a look at the facts here. We're yeah. told to weep. We're told to feel with them, to walk through what they are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not be colorblind but to see the color of their skin and know that they are a fellow citizen a fellow american and an image bearer of god i couldn't agree more drew man i um i know this is just this has been a roller coaster just for our entire nation yeah um even now like when i look on social media i'm seeing the response play out yeah uh, in Los Angeles, Minneapolis, mm-hmm. even in downtown Louisville, mm-hmm. there's protests going on, and yeah. even in some places, riots. And I don't want to put you on the spot. No, go ahead. But could you give a word yeah. to collectively how we should honestly react? Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know if you saw earlier today, but a target was looted. Yeah. In uh, Minneapolis. And, uh, you know, personally, I'm not with that. You know, Mm -hmm. like I don't I don't think that looting a target is going to answer your problems. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that it's a display of your feelings and your anger, but I'm still, you know, two wrongs don't equal a right for me. Yeah. I'm not discrediting the feelings that are that are had by that community. Mm -hmm. But I do want to be able to give an alternative or a solution to say like, Hey guys, I don't want to tell you how you can or can't respond. Mm. And I don't want to tell you how you ought to preach your voice, Mm. but I do want to say that love needs to be at the center of Mm -hmm. it. Um, what would you honestly say to like, let's just say you're talking to your brother who's had it. Yeah who is really sick of this because he grew up in a white family and he goes to a private Christian school Mm -hmm. full of white children. Mm -hmm. What, how would you say, what would you say to your brother who is really kind of at the end of his rope with this? Yeah. 
It's a good question. Um, the first thing I would say is that um, what you are feeling is not uncommon. And if I can even for just a moment say, we talked about our history class at the beginning of this conversation. Mm-hmm. I remember in our history class learning about something that happened in Boston Harbor uh, 200 some years ago. Mm-hmm. Some people had had it. They were fed up. Mm-hmm. They'd been taxed extremely high. And they protested. Yeah. And they looted property. Right. They dumped tea into a harbor. Yeah. Dressed as Native Americans. That's a whole nother conversation. Holy crap. I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> I forgot that they did that. But think for a moment about That's what has happened crap. there. Yeah. Think about what's happening there for a moment. Yeah. They have been oppressed. They've been taxed. They've had enough. Mm-hmm. And it spilled over beyond asking politely please stop taxing us. Please stop oppressing us. They destroyed property Mm -hmm. and we deem them as some of the heroes and founders of our country. Yeah. We praise that. We praise that. Yeah. They'd had enough and they didn't just protest silently. They did something about it. Wow. While I don't condone what has happened in Minnesota at the Mm -hmm. target, I understand man, because you know, When you've been bullied, if a bully at your school comes up to you every day and Mm -hmm. sucker punches you in the gut, which frankly is what happens to our black brothers and sisters constantly, at some point, you've just had enough, and you you pull your arm back, and you sock them back. I I don't condone that, but don't we all empathize when we watch a movie with the person who's being picked on by a bully finally socks the person who's picking on them? Not only that. But the teachers and the principals yeah. and the staff have been letting that bully hit you in yes. the stomach forever. Exactly. So if you go and trash a classroom, mm-hmm. it's going to be like, well, yep. where were you when this yep. guy was su- like sucker punching me in the gut every day? Precisely. I could give a crap about your desks. The administration, the leaders have turned away. They've looked at the bully and said, it's okay to do what you do. Right. We would all empathize with the character in that movie. We yeah. love actually movies of, you know... Like John Wick, like your his, friend Colton Mia, yeah. <laughs> uh, who I bumped into in Sicily. Wow, I saw his. Do you remember? Do you remember me telling you? That? Uh, yeah, man, it's coming back to me now. That is just nuts, man. It's a small world. Long story short, <laughs> Jake is friends with people all over the world, and I just happened to connect with one of his good friends yeah. while I was in the other part of the world. Yeah. But, but yeah, he was even talking about that. We yeah. we are rooting for the guy who's yes. had enough. Yes. And, yeah. and responds, even sometimes with violence. Right. And so while I don't, while I don't condone that, I understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of what's happening is we have told people for a long time how they can protest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not supposed to take a knee during a football game. They're not supposed to protest peacefully. They're supposed to protest in these very, very specific ways, which when you really get down to it, what we're really telling them is just shut up and don't say anything about it. Right. And at some point, people have had enough and they lash out. Mm-hmm. And while I don't condone it, I understand it. So from there, what I would say to my brother is um, it's understandable, mm-hmm. but Martin Luther King... Listen to Albert Tate, Brian Loritz, mm-hmm. a lot of the leaders within the black community today. Um, they knew and they know today mm-hmm. that love has to be at the center of what happens. Yeah. 
But I want to take that for a moment and say, um, I think that the love being at the center of the solution, yeah. it has to also, and I would even say predominantly come from people who look like you and I. Yes. Because they have protested every way they know how. Yeah. Bus boycotts, football games. There's been a number of different ways to protest. Yeah. And there still hasn't been the change that they need and deserve. And so I think it actually, it comes on the shoulders of you and I. That's yeah. why we're having this conversation right well, now. And, and also people forget that the, the black community in the United States only makes up 13% of the population. Correct. Yes. People, people really forget because I think it's just, maybe it's really, maybe diversity is pretty well off on television, mm-hmm. but it's. It, it is a staggering low number compared to the Caucasian community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so I think it, it falls on the shoulders of those of us who hold the power in our hands to make those changes. Our black brothers and sisters have been asking for a long time for these changes and they haven't happened. Mm-hmm. And so I think it comes back to that, the heart change and the structural change. Yeah. And so I would say to him, that I understand his hurt and his pain. Mm -hmm. And while I ask him to have love at the center of what he does, it has to be at the center of what I do too. And love is not turning a blind eye to your hurting neighbor, your hurting brother and sister. Mm. Um, So I think, man, as we, as we look ahead, as we move forward, there's a moment right now, maybe even as you're listening to this, To pause and ask yourself, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, my mom loves the prayer. and It's become a prayer of mine. The AA prayer, actually, of asking, mm-hmm. God, would you grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, mm-hmm. to change the things that I can, and the ability to know the difference. Right. And that is my prayer for myself, mm-hmm. for um, you who might be listening right now. Uh, if you... Um, are white yourself is to know there are certain things that you can't change. And I'm not asking you the listener to change the entire issue of racism. You can't, I can't, the two of us cannot together. It takes us collectively doing something, but what I can control is my heart, Mm -hmm. the conversations that I have, how I listen to my brothers and sisters, how it impacts me at a deep, profound heart and soul level. Mm And I can also, I can also do things that create structural change. Right. Um, I'd love to. Drew, I actually have a an article that I found to be incredibly helpful. I don't know if you can put that in the show notes or I will, put that uh, out somewhere. I'll put that in the description of the episode. Great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll give people an opportunity to view that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Sure. I think there are uh, a number of things that we can do that maybe we just don't realize, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But there are things that you and I can. Um, strive to work on to not only see a heart change, but to also see a structural change. Amen. Yeah. Bro, I think this was super productive. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like for me personally, I, I think it's really important to not put aside these events that are taking place and to give an honest process to a lot of things that have occurred here lately. Yeah. Um, I value your perspective greatly because I know that um, even though you yourself aren't black, this really hits close to home because you have dear family that will be walking this path in America and you really, 
you and I both hope that this is just something that will change for the better yeah. in the future. But this is, it, it's sad that we have to still be this far mm. in human society and say, wow, this is still an issue. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you want the audience to know just about yourself mm. um, before we kind of sign off here? Yeah. Um, let's let's plug what you're doing real quick before yeah. you go. Maybe if uh, people that are listening want to reach out and support you because you've got an operation going in Portland. Yeah. Um, how can people just you know reach out and support? Yeah, man. Um, and even if you want to reach out and just continue this conversation, yeah. um, this podcast happened. Because I threw something out there today and just said, if if you're wanting to engage in this conversation, send me a message, yeah. shoot me a text, give me a call. Um, I'm more than happy to continue this conversation. And I think um, not just to teach or to talk at anyone, but to learn from each other. Yeah. Because um, we learn very little just by sitting with our own thoughts, with our own news things that we read, we have to engage in this conversation. So, um, yeah, send me a message. Uh, I would love to continue this conversation. My wife and I are, um, on a personal level working for, uh, church of the city Mm -hmm. in Portland, Oregon right now. Um, we're, uh, over the next year or so going to be church planning in Northeast Portland. Um, if you want to come visit when that's a, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, available, please come and spend some time with us. We'd love to show you, um, our home and the city that we've come to love. And, yeah. uh, um, yeah, if you want to engage with us about, um, praying for us or, um, uh, connecting in any way regarding our ministry, shoot me a message as well. Would love to, to touch base on that also. Cool. Bro. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks really for having me. It. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, for everybody that listens, um, as always, I've learned a great deal, uh, through this episode. <clears throat> uh, I'm sure you guys have too. um, just ponder these words that Jake Nagy has said. And, uh, just pray about it and, you know, just let the Lord do some work in your heart. Um, don't get defensive. Don't, don't have a rebuttal. Just, let's just all admit that we're all in this together and we need to just, we need to do our part. So Jake, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Have a good one. I'll see you next time.